might have noticed what Amber was reading wasn't what was on the screen because that was a mistake I made. We were doing the New Living Translation, and yet what I put to go on the screen was NIV, so my apologies for that. Mike got laid off, and it was a surprise. He had two young kids at home, and he had a wife that worked part-time. Now, Mike had gotten a severance package, but it would only get them through just a few months. Interviews came and went. Uh, there would be hope with those interviews, but it would only be dashed a week or so later when Mike didn't get the job. Mike prayed a lot. God didn't seem to answer. Five months later, when money was really starting to run out, Mike got a call. It was a job offer, and so he took it, but within weeks, he discovered that he hated the job, and he was miserable. And yet... It was through that miserable job that doors were open for future opportunities. It took eight years, but Mike finally got his dream job. And throughout all that time, God was working. Sally married at a very young age. Her husband began abusing her within weeks of their wedding. He drank too much. He did drugs. He seemed to enjoy hurting his wife. But Sally trusted in the Lord. She wondered, though, why, why God, why didn't you rescue me? And one day it got to be too much, and so Sally packed up her kids and all her belongings, and she left. She was broke. Sally didn't have a place to stay. Somehow, though, through this horrible situation, Sally got stronger. Her faith never wavered. And today she leads a ministry at a church for abused women. By the grace of God, she's making a difference. God was with Sally every day of her life. God had plans for Sally. John was ready to retire. Then the stock market crashed, and within a few months, John lost a third of his retirement savings. And if that wasn't enough, his wife got sick. John had insurance, but it just wasn't enough. The doctor bills drained even more and more of their life savings. Fortunately, though, his wife made a full recovery. Still, though, John was depressed. He had faithfully saved his whole life. He had great plans for retirement with his wife, and now it seemed that those plans would never, ever happen. Where was God? Then one day, out of the blue, his daughter called with an idea. She was starting a new business and can use someone to help with her scheduling in the paperwork. She asked her dad, will you come to work for me? It'll only be two or three days a week. Your schedule, dad, could be flexible. And John was reluctant at first, but then he took his daughter up on her offer. And five years later, her business is a success, and John makes some extra cash. But the best part is that John gets to spend time working with his daughter and he still gets to do all those things he had dreamed of doing with his wife during retirement. It was an amazing double blessing. John couldn't have imagined how God could use a stock market crash and a sick wife to bring him such a blessing. But God had been working all the time. Now I have to tell you, Mike and Sally and John aren't real people, but stories like these happen every day. There are times when we 
look at the world around us, when we look at our life and we wonder, where is God? What are you doing, God? You seem to be absent. We don't hear from him. Our prayers seem to go unanswered. Life becomes drudgery. It becomes a challenge. And if that's you, remember, God is working. He's always working. This morning, we're beginning a new message series, and we'll be looking at the book of Esther. Esther is an interesting Old Testament book. God is never mentioned in the book. Prayer is never described. There is no worship. There is no praise for the Lord. Esther takes place in the pagan city, in the pagan world, in the city of Susa, which was the winter capital of the Persian Empire during the 5th century B.C. The Babylonian exile of the Jewish people had ended, and some of them had moved back home. Others were moving back home, but yet others stayed in Persia and were constantly subjected to a life that was far from the one true God. The Persian ruler at the time was Xerxes. In some Bible translations, he's referred to as Azasuras. We're going to go with Xerxes because I can pronounce that. Now, if you were one of the original readers of this book, it's about the religious holiday, which is called Purim. See, Purim celebrates the Jewish people being saved from Haman. And we're going to learn more about Haman later in the book. But to us living today, there's another purpose to the book, and it's, it's one that relates to our lives today most closely. But to understand that purpose, we have to realize that ancient Jewish scholars even wondered if Esther should be part of the Scripture because God appeared to be missing. And yet, when you read the book, evidence of God is all over Esther. And that's the purpose we're going to focus on today and for much of this book. Esther is a, a true story of God's providence, his watching out and caring for his people. And Esther's study guide says it very well. It says, the invisible hand of God is at work in the lives of both those who know him and those who don't know him. And we saw that today in the passages that Amber read. Now, before we talk about God's invisible hand and then a, and a match that was made in heaven, I want to give you a quick kind of a bullet point summary of Esther chapter 1 and into chapter 2. First, we're told that the king threw a great party, a great celebration. It went on literally for months. It was a show of pomp and his power, and he was trying to uh, impress some allies that he needed for an upcoming war. And near the end of all the partying, the king commanded his queen to come for his guest. Now, he really wasn't inviting her to join his guests, as we'll see in a few minutes. Instead, he wanted to show off his trophy wife. Of course, she refused. And the king got mad, and he banished her from his presence. And at that point, a search went out for a new queen. And as providence would have it, Esther, a Jewish, beautiful Jewish woman, was selected by the king. God was working all the time. You see, for one thing, God is working where you le least expect it. God was working towards that great celebration of the pagan king Xerxes. This celebration, we're told, lasted 180 days. It was a display of overindulgence and decadence. It was a, a display of 
excesses. And after the 100 days of celebration, the king threw a big party for all the people inside the walls of Susa. They drank, we're told, out of gold goblets. The wine was the king's wine. It had to be amazing wine. The setting was purely rich. And, and we're told at the same time that Queen Vashti was throwing her own party for the ladies. I think you'd have to be naive to think that no one was drunk. Most everyone was drunk, including the king. You know, it's been said that parties bring out the worst in people. And I think in the case of Xerxes, that's certainly true. But his original intent, uh, intent of the celebration had a purpose. Xerxes was trying to impress people with his wealth. He was trying to impress them with his power. He needed support for a war that he planned to wage with Greece. But it didn't work. His army was famously beaten at the naval battle of Salamis. And so he wasted a lot of time. He wasted a lot of money. If you look at that party, it seems like God wasn't there. At least he certainly wasn't invited. But God is working where you least expect it. Wallace Ben compared Xerxes' party to a, a drinking bash. And he wrote this, he said, Right behavior doesn't give hangovers and regrets. And he added, he said, I've worked with a lot of younger teens and adults, and I've never understood that those who told me that a party at which you get drunk out of your mind, sick as a dog, and probably sick on somebody else's floor, should be considered so much fun. He said the ultimate result is a massive hangover. You have to wonder what you did the night before because you don't remember it. Or maybe you do remember it and you wish you could forget it. You know, in my younger days, I did some dumb things and most of the stupid things I ever did came as a result of my drinking. Nothing good happens when you drink too much. Nothing. It might seem like fun at the time, but you don't realize how foolish you look. And, and if you don't... Uh, Agree with me? Try this. Go to a bar or a party with friends who really like to drink. And don't drink a drop yourself. But then just stand back and watch. The more people drink, the more stupid they tend to get. Couples have arguments. People end up cheating on a spouse. Friends fight. People are rude. Sometimes drunkenness brings tears of remorse. Now I've got to tell you here, I'm not talking about one or two drinks. The Bible doesn't forbid drinking in moderation. But it does tell us that drunkenness is a sin. And King Xerxes was a prime example of the problems that result when drinking too much. And we're going to see that in just a minute. But here's the thing. Even though we said God didn't seem to be present, God was working at Xerxes' party. Think about Jesus. Jesus went to a party at Matthew, the tax collector's house. And he took a lot of criticism from the religious leaders, but Jesus was there doing his Father's will. Jesus was building bridges with people far from God. And Jesus was working at the party. In a similar way, God's plan was unfolding at Xerxes' party. God uses ridiculous overindulgences of his people for his purposes. Now that party was a failure in gaining the needed military support that Xerxes wanted. 
but he was also about to make another huge mistake that God was going to use for God's glory. You see, God is at work in the places you least expect him. God can show up when we're in the middle of committing a sin. He can show us how we're hurting ourselves, how we're hurting other people. God can reveal the motivations of politicians. Some politicians want us to believe that they really care for us when really all they want is another vote to stay in power. Other politicians say they want to give us a better life while they oppose giving an unborn child even the chance to live. God may be working on such politicians to change their heart, or God might be working to challenge us as children to change the direction of a nation. A corrupt manager may seem to get ahead for a while, but God's working. God can use a manager's corruption to challenge those who witness it to live right, to do the job right. God is working even in the most despicable situations. And we may not see it, but God's in control. King Xerxes' drunkenness was about to cost him his wife. His action and Vashti's response show us that God can even work in awkward situations. In Esther chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, it tells us that Xerxes was high in spirits because of the wine, and he called seven of his eunuchs to bring Queen Vashti to him with the royal crown on her head. And to us, that seems like a reasonable request. The king wanted his queen to join him at the party, and after all, she had been throwing a party for the ladies. Why not let her be with the rest of the people? But scholars in Scripture tell us otherwise. Some scholars say the king's request for Vashti to come with her royal crown was not all that it seemed to be. Esther's writer gives us some insight saying, Xerxes wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. Those who know the history and the context say God was commanding his, or God, the king was commanding his wife to parade before his friends wearing only her crown and perhaps nothing else. Others add that it was also possible from the timing of things that she was pregnant at the time. Either way, it was demeaning. See, Xerxes wanted to show off his wife's body to those people that he was trying to impress. He was presenting her as his sex toy. And it was an example of what can happen when you're not thinking too much or when you're getting involved in the thrill of the moment or perhaps when you're drunk. Let me ask the guys in the room here. Can you imagine doing such a thing to your wife or your girlfriend or your sister? Hopefully, if you survived, it would be the last time you would do it. See, it's one thing to be proud of how your wife or girlfriend looks or her character or her personality. You want, though, her friend, your friends to appreciate her for who she is. It's entirely another thing to present her as an object, your possession, your plaything. But the awkwardness of that moment wasn't finished. Vashti refused the king. She wasn't playing his game. And there's actually an irony here. This king who controlled vast expanses of land and was trying to gain more support couldn't control his own wife. Vashti, though, did the right thing. 
and it took courage to stand up to the king. And yet, it was going to cost her. Still, she wasn't going to give up her dignity. As we read, heard the story earlier, Xerxes was furious. He consulted with his so-called wise advisors, and they told him that not only had Vashti wronged him, but if her actions went unpunished, all the other women would treat their husbands in the same way. In other words, all the wives would not let their husbands tell them what to do. And that could not happen in their society. The course of action was determined. Vashti would lose her role as queen. She was banished from the, queen, the king's presence. And as you think about that, may not have been such a bad consequence. But there would be a search for a new queen. God works in the awkward. He works in situations that are uncomfortable. He works in situations that are challenged. With Xerxes, life was about to change. The plan of God for his people was moving forward. It wasn't going to be stopped. But sometimes us, like Vashti, seem to be punished when we do the right thing. We stand on our Christian ethics. We do the job right. We don't bend the rules even though our boss and others are encouraging us to do so. And maybe it costs us a promotion at work. A teenage guy and her girl are home alone. And things are starting to move pretty fast. And he wants more. But she says no. She keeps her purity, but he calls her a tease. She might lose her boyfriend. A wife stands up to her husband's domineering attitude. He's surprised. He tries again to beat her down, but she won't have anything to do with it. He isn't happy. He tries to make her life a living hell. Our friends are talking trashy, and we want to keep it clean. They think we're goody-two-shoes. They call us church people. We get excluded from events and parties, and it hurts. Or maybe a friend says, just have one more drink. You're fine to drive home. And we say no. We're called lightweights, but at least we make it home without hurting someone. Or getting a ticket. A man tells a married woman who isn't his wife that no one will know. It'll be our little secret. It'll be just one time. It'll be fun. She's tempted, but she refuses. And he gets mad and threatens to tell her husband, even though she did nothing wrong. You see, situations can be awkward. Doing the right thing can sometimes be so difficult. But know that God is with you in those awkward situations. Know that God is working on your behalf. God can give you strength. God can bring good things out of an awkward or uncomfortable situation. Now, as we're talking about uncomfortable things, I want to talk again to the men for just a minute. Guys, I want you to imagine this scenario. It's a beauty contest. The contest is based on looks and how the girl pleases you during an overnight stay. You get to test out the top seven contestants. Not only do you get the winner, but you get to pick her. And she is then yours to do as you please. I notice all the guys are paying attention right now. In some sense, it's kind of like the, the Bachelor show on TV, or if you switch the ro roles, maybe the Bachelorette. 
And either way, some might find it amusing. They might like it, but to many others, the whole thing sounds morally despicable and X-rated. And they're right, it is despicable. It is X-rated. But for King Xerxes, a beauty pageant just like that was reality. For Esther, it would become her life. We see that God works also in unlikely relationships. You see that that quest for a new queen was a beauty contest. Esther was a Jewish woman. These people, the king and his court, weren't her people. They didn't worship the one true God. Esther was raised by Mordecai, a relative. She had been orphaned. Mordecai was a very good man, especially compared to Xerxes. Esther had been chosen to be part of the king's search for a new queen. And she really had no choice in the matter. To oppose the king could have cost her her life. She hid her nationality. She hid her family background. And if you think about it, if you remember Daniel, Daniel fought the system in one. Esther took a different route. But Esther's route was also part of God's plan to save his people. And so Esther became one of the seven finalists whose reward was a night in the king's bed. She received six months of beauty treatments and six months of special perfumes and ointments. Now this is probably the only part of this entire narrative that might sound good to the women. Six months of going to the spa. Twelve months, actually. Scholars also say part of her beauty treatments might have been to put some weight on Esther. See, she was likely very thin due to her impoverished state. And back then, the culture preferred women with some meat on their bones. And so Esther got to eat well. And Xerxes was impressed. And she became his queen. Throughout the process, Mordecai kept a close watch over Esther. And so did God. It certainly was an unlikely marriage a Persian king and a Jewish peasant girl. But the point is that God can use all sorts of relationships for his purposes. Unlikely relationships, good relationships, bad relationships can bring good results. God may have brought some people into your life who seem very different from you. They think differently, they look differently, they act differently, and yet it works. It works great. Such unlikely relationships provide an opportunity for all to grow and learn from each other. provides an opportunity to love. God might use a a bad childhood, a marriage, or a family situation, or a work environment to accomplish his purposes. God isn't responsible for the bad situations. The people who make them bad are responsible, but it's how we respond that matters. Do we become a victim? Some do. They can't get beyond the horrible things in their life. They let the past dictate the future. But others use hard times to grow stronger. The pain helps make them a better person and to learn to trust in God in all situations. Esther could have been a victim. Instead, she rose. And God used her to accomplish his plan. This unlikely relationship was truly a match that was made in heaven. You know, I don't know what's going on in your life this morning. 
Maybe you're sitting there and you're experiencing the presence of God with you with each breast. Jesus is guiding your way. Things are good. Or maybe you're sitting there wondering, God, where are you? And many of us are somewhere in between that. But I do know this. God is working. His providential care is active. We trust in Jesus. And we have good reason to trust. If God sent his own son, Jesus, to the cross to take away our sin, if Jesus reconciled us to the Father, if heaven is our future home, if Jesus is your Savior, then you can be confident that God is acting for the good of you and for his glory. And God did it. He did all those things I just mentioned through his son. The response is up to us. Trust in Jesus. God will be working. And Jesus will guide all your days. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, there are times in our life where you seem absent. We've drifted away from you. We don't pray and talk to you. We don't read our Bible. Maybe we've gotten out of the habit of coming to church to worship you. But Father, it's so reassuring to know that even in those times where maybe you seem absent, where maybe we've done things to draw away from you, or maybe we've been faithful, but we still can't see your hand in our life. It's so good to know, though, that you are working, that you care for your people, you love your children, that our future is secure. And so, Father, we come this morning, we come to you thanking you for the good times and the bad, thanking you for the challenges we face, thanking you that when we sin against you through Christ, our sins are forgiven. We have a plea, though, Father. We just would ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our mind, that we would see you at work in our life and in the lives of those around us. And we pray this all in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're able, please stand as the worship team comes up to lead us in our closing song.